Right, well, the Lord is here, the Spirit is upon me, and John is still awake. So, I suggest we get going. Uh, obviously, the Lord isn't going anywhere, and the Holy Spirit isn't going to stop being upon me, but John could be asleep any minute. So, I suggest we, we dive in, and uh, we're, we're back on the demonology tonight. Now, thank you, John. Oh, sound effects. Thank you, John. <laughs> right, so far in this series, we've basically limited ourselves to just one aspect of what demons are up to. And we've really been concentrating on the aspect of the fact that demons get inside individuals, they get in to people. Um, and of course the reason that part of our calling as the church is to cast demons out of people is precisely because there are times, uh, times when demons get in to people. But what we've got to do now in the second half of this series is cast our net far wider and to really try and get the whole picture of what demons are up to, because uh, the demonization of individuals, i.e. having demons, is merely one aspect of what Satan and the demons are up to. It's only one aspect of our spiritual warfare. And uh, so what we're going to move on to tonight is to see what the Bible teaches about what the demonic powers are doing in regards not to individual but the whole of human history in its entirety all right now if if the demonization of individuals is one aspect of satan's working uh, let's say a particular maneuver by some of his troops let's say that they are the demons on what i call personal demonization detachment all right that is one aspect of what demons are up to, all right? So if that's a particular manoeuvre by some of his troops, then what is the rest of his army up to? And what is the satanic war machine doing in general, all right? So what we're going to do tonight is uh, we're going to sort of like pull back what I call the cosmic curtain and uh, take a little peek at what's going on behind it. Now, let me say immediately that it is going to be only a little peak. And the reason is because we noted when we were doing personal demonization detachment demons, i.e. the first half of the course, one of the things we noted is that in contrast to the voluminous details that Bible teachers write and preach about demons, we noted that the truth was how little the Bible said, not how much. And obviously you read these books, you can hear these Bible study tapes, and you can hear Christians, I mean, coming up with detailed information about demons that, I mean, certainly never came from the Bible. And in exactly the same way, this wider picture, all right, behind the cosmic curtain, we are also, in the Bible, told very little. But the Bible tells us enough to just get the general picture. We can get a good idea of what's going on, and we can certainly get all the information we need. Maybe not all the information we'd like, and the trouble with a lot of false teaching, um, it's because Christians often want to know more than God is prepared to tell them. And, uh, but we've got to learn to be satisfied with whatever it is God tells us. And if he hasn't told us any more about something, we'll leave it there. God has told us enough 
all right? And it's the enough that we're going to look at tonight. Now, the general picture in regards to this is thus. There is a war that is raging at back of human history. And that war is between the Lord, between God himself and his angels, and Satan and the fallen angels, the demons, all right? So there's a battle going on at back of human history between God and his angels and Satan and his angels. Oh, Satan is an angel, but the angels who followed him, all right? And the battleground in this war is planet Earth. And the battleground is human beings. So that is a war going on, and that is what we're going to start looking at. Now, go to the book of Daniel. In the Old Testament, find it near the back of the Old Testament, not completely at the back, um, but Daniel, a, a quite incredible book, covers many, many things, far more than we can go into here, but we're going to be interested in chapter 10. So, so just have your finger in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 1. <coughs> now, before we read the chapter, let's just do a bit of background. We're going to read a chapter of a book in the Old Testament, all right? Now, so we can get it in context, we've got to ask this question, with, with what, <laughs> with, with what I was going to say, <laughs> with what does this book of Daniel concern itself? Now, we've got to answer that question very, very quickly. Basically, Daniel, in order to understand him, was a historian. The value, or part of the value of this guy, Daniel, who wrote this book, is that he was a very amazing historian. But because he was a prophet as well, he was an historian of things that hadn't happened yet when he was alive. Now, can you see the difference? Most historians are recording events in detail that happened in the past. Daniel certainly recorded events that happened in his past, but he also, as an historian, recorded events in great detail that hadn't happened yet, because he was a prophet. And uh, if, if you want a word for that, uh, you know, sort of like, uh, a prophet isn't a historian, he's a futurian. Can you see what I mean? That is the value of Daniel. And basically, what Daniel did is that he outlined Israel's future history from the point at which he was alive onwards. So what Daniel did is that he was a historian of Israel, but he recorded not what had happened thus far in his life, he recorded what was going to happen from his life onwards. And he did it in incredible detail. And what is of particular relevance to us here is that in doing that, he deals with various world empires that had been, that were, and ones that were to come, i.e. they were future to him, and he dealt with them in relationship to the effect that those world empires were going to have on Israel. Now, when the book of Daniel starts, Daniel is actually in Israel, all right? Um, sorry, Daniel is in Babylon. 
he's a Jew, but Israel have been carted off into captivity by the Babylonians, all right? And Babylon at that time was the world power. Now, there had only been one other world power prior to them, and that was Egypt. So Egypt as a world power had passed, and Babylon was the world power when Daniel started writing his book, and Israel were in captivity to the world empire of the Babylonians, all right? Now, basically, what happened was uh, that during the course of writing the book, he, he was shown by God that there were going to be three more world empires that were going to follow. And he prophesied about them. They hadn't happened yet when he wrote it. He prophesied about them in such incredible details uh, that historians today can pinpoint absolutely exactly the empires that he was talking about. I mean, it's like, for instance, I mean, you know, he wrote his book long before the Greek Empire. But the fact that the Greek Empire started off with one leader and then, as a result of various things, the leader died young, Alexander the Great, that then the Greek Empire was split up into four separate empires. Now, historians know that it's a fact. Daniel got that absolutely right a few hundred years before it actually happened. So this is the marvellous thing about the book of Daniel, all right, that he recorded this future history in such detail that historians today can look back and pinpoint exactly the world empires that he was talking about. Uh, he also prophesied the coming of Jesus, all right? He prophesied the coming of Messiah and got the date right. Now, it's not our subject here, but one of the things I'm forever saying is that Israel, at the time of Jesus, knew that he was the Messiah. They knew it. When Israel rejected Jesus, they rejected him knowing he was Messiah. And one of the reasons that they knew it is because Jesus was around at the date that was prophesied by Daniel in the Old Testament. Another of the reasons why. Okay. Now then, what I'm saying is that Daniel was prophesying about these world kingdoms. All right. Now, when he started his book, his, the first world kingdom that he said was going to come was Medo-Persia. Now, so that you'd had the Egyptian world empire that had passed. When Daniel started writing his book, he was in the Babylonian world empire. Okay. Now then, in Daniel's lifetime, the Babylonian empire fell and Medo-Persia took over as the next world empire. Medo-Persia, because it was a coalition between the Persian and the Median races, hence Medo-Persia, all right? So the first was Medo-Persia. He prophesied that world empire would come. He lived to see that. Then he prophesied that Medo-Persia would fall and that after that would arise the Greek world empire, which happened and that, that following the fall of the Greek Empire would arise a Roman Empire. Now, his prophecies go on, not just uh, to history that was future to him, but his prophecies go on to history that is still future to us, stuff that hasn't happened even yet. And he prophesied that eventually, in the future, one final world empire will emerge. Only this world empire will be the aggregate or the sum total of all those empires merged into one. Egypt, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. All right? 
and that the world empire yet to arise will be the sum total, the aggregate of all those past empires. And it will be, in fact, a re-emergence of the Roman Empire. Although the Roman Empire has largely been gone for, what, officially 1700 odd years, the Roman Empire will arise once more, and it will be headed by the Antichrist. All this happens in the Great Tribulation. And think about it, what does the Antichrist want? Worship as God. What was the Roman Empire based on? Emperor worship. You worship the Emperor as God. So the Roman Empire will one day, headed by the Antichrist, arise. Now, the intention of that world empire that hasn't yet arisen, this yet-to-be empire, its intention will in actual fact be the same as its counterparts back in ancient history. And it's basically this, the destruction of Israel and the Jewish people. Now, why is that going to be? Well, as we're going to go on to see, because behind world events lies this warfare of Satan and the demons against God and his angels. With that background, let's actually read Daniel, all right? We'll, we'll read uh, chapter two, we'll read from verse two. <clears throat> so here it goes, all right? We'll break this down, you know, sort of looking at a few verses individually, but let's just read the whole lot. Um, Chapter 10 and verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks, as opposed to evening for three months. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, whose loins were golded with, golded with gird of Euphaz. I'll say it again, girded with gold of Euphaz. <clears throat> His body was like beryl. His arms were like Sally. No, no, no. His body, Beryl, this is a, a substance, I hasten to ask. His, his body was like Beryl. His face... Now, come on, be serious. Second day. Trying to do a Bible study here, aren't I? His face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the noise of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and when I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, Give heed to the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your mind to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. 
and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, <clears throat> one of the chief princes, came to help me. So I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia and came to make you understand what is to befall your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and was dumb, and behold, one in the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I am through with him, lo, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these, except Michael, your prince. Now, let's, 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 let's sort that out. The timing of this is that Daniel is now in empire number two, i.e., he started off in Babylon, which was the first world empire while he, while he was alive. Egypt had come and gone, but that was before he lived, all right? So Daniel started off in the Babylonian empire. Babylon has fallen. Medo-Persia has taken over. So Daniel is now in empire number two, the Medo-Persian empire, all right? Now, he's had a lot of the visions that God was giving him the visions, the information that basically he was writing his book according to. But he knew full well there was more to come. There were pieces of the jigsaw missing, all right? And so what he does is that the, the real key bits he still hasn't got. So what he does is that he prays and he fasts for three weeks. And he's doing this specifically so he can receive from God the rest of the prophetic information that he knows that God has given to him, all right? So he's been praying and he's been fasting for three weeks. Now let's go to verse 12, all right? Now let's just read this. Now this person who appears, obviously an angel. Let's just read it. Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your mind to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Now, can you see, Daniel has been praying and <laughs> fasting for three weeks. What we have here is that the answer to his prayers was dispatched the very first day that he started praying, right? And the answer to his prayer, because what he was praying for was information, the answer to his prayer was in the form of a goody angel 
bringing him the information he required. And it was not uncommon in the Old Testament that prophets would receive their teaching and what God wanted to tell them via angels coming. Um, the, you know, the actual word angel means messenger in both the Hebrew and the Greek. That is the original meaning of the word angel in Hebrew and Greek. It means a messenger, and that is one of the prime functions of the angels. They act as messengers, all right? So, therefore, the answer to his prayer, this angel bearing the information, was dispatched the day he started praying, but only arrived three weeks later. Let's read verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, so I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia and came to make you understand what is to befall your people in the latter days. Now then, basically, the answer to his prayer was dispatched on day one, as soon as he prayed, his, uh, his prayer was being answered, as soon as he prayed, and the form was a goody angel being dispatched. But, this goody angel had been delayed. Now, why had the goody angel been delayed? Because for three weeks he'd been in a kind of a celestial wrestling match with a baddie angel. The baddie angel here referred to as being the prince of Persia. And this baddie angel was trying to prevent Mike, uh, Daniel's prayer being answered. Can you see? So Daniel has prayed, God has dispatched the answer. Satan doesn't want the answer to get through. So the goody angel is met by a baddie angel, the prince of Persia, and there's this wrestling match. All right. Now then, Eventually, the cavalry had to come to the rescue of this goody angel because there was obviously a kind of, it was a tie, wasn't it? You know, neither one nor the other was stronger. It was deadlock. It could have gone on for eternity. So the cavalry comes to the rescue of the goody angel and the, cav the cavalry was in the form of what is called a chief prince, someone called Michael. So Michael, a chief prince, has come and taken over the wrestling match with the Prince of Persia, leaving the goody angel free to get to Daniel and to give him the information. And this angel, the goody angel, now talking to Daniel, had left Michael, one of the chief princes, battling it out with the Prince of Persia, baddie angel, and was therefore free to deliver the message, because Michael had taken over the fight with the Prince of Persia angel, all right? And so was free to deliver the message. Let's read verse 20, all right? Then he said, this is the angel still talking, do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the Prince of Persia, and when I am through with him, lo, the Prince of Peace, the, the Prince of Greece will come. So then, the goody angel messenger, remember in both Greek and Hebrew, the word angel simply means messenger, all right? So now the goody angel messenger, okay, is now going to return to join in the affray with Michael against the Prince of Persia baddie angel, all right? And what is then going to transpire is that this Prince of Persia baddie angel is going to be beaten. Obviously, of course, he's going to be beaten. But, but, when the Prince of Persia is beaten, then the Prince of Greece will come. Now then, 
The Prince of Persia, Daniel, was in the Medo-Persian world empire. When the Prince of Persia was beaten, the Prince of Greece was going to come. Greece was the world empire that followed Medo-Persia. All right? So, the baddie angel, the Prince of Persia, is, you know, he's sort of like getting his lights kicked out of him. And eventually, he's going to be beaten. But as soon as he's beaten, another one is going to come, and it's going to be the Prince of Persia. Now, just go down into verse 21. And the angel, sorry, Greece. Sorry, you're right, Greece. 21, he says, But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side, against these except Michael, your prince. So this angel is working alone with Michael. Now obviously you've sussed it, Michael is an archangel, alright? So this angel is working alone with Michael, alright? And Michael here, we're told, <coughs> or Daniel is told, he is your prince, i.e. Michael is the prince of Israel. Michael is the archangel personally responsible for the nation of Israel. All right. Now, obviously, one could go into that in a great, great more detail, but what we're wanting out of it are only specific things. So what we've got to ask is this. Right, there's some specific data. What sort of things can we deduce from it? Number one, all right, <clears throat> the goody messenger angel, the one talking to Daniel, refers to Michael as one of the chief princes, all right, Michael being an archangel. So we can immediately deduce from that that the angelic forces do have at least some kind of ranking order, be it in authority or strength. The goody angel talking to Daniel is clearly not an archangel like Michael. So Michael, the archangel, is of a higher authority than the goody angel talking to Daniel. So we can deduce from that that in the angelic realm there is at least some ranking order of either authority or strength. Now, given that demons, evil spirits, given that they are simply fallen angels, it is therefore safe to conclude that the same goes for them as well. All right? So therefore, different angels, whether goody or baddy ones, have different functions in this warfare. All right? Um, a fallen angel on what I've called personal demonization detachment duty, all right? A fallen angel doing that, i.e. a, a, a demon demonising individuals, is unlikely to be doing the kind of duties performed by, for instance, the Prince of Persia demon. All right, can you see? There's a kind of a differentiation of rank and also a function in the angelic forces. Um, Individual demonization is clearly the brief of some demons, of some fallen angels, all right? But there are other fallen angels or demons engaged in quite different operations. Now, in regards to the demons who demonize individuals, the personal demonization detachment ones, we could perhaps uh, think of them in terms of being Satan's shock troops. Uh, or maybe the parachute regiment, i.e. get them behind enemy lines, invade and infiltrate, 
all right? So the personal demon, the demons who demonize individuals, all right, they're doing one function, getting inside of people, all right? But other evil spirits are doing something quite different, and it's in line with here the idea of the Prince of Persia or the Prince of Greece, all right? Now, the second thing we can deduce, all right, these world powers, all right, specifically Persia and Greece, although, although they were perfectly ordinary nations, I mean, in the same way that Great Britain, I mean, let's, let's just imagine for one moment Great Britain took over the world, all right, or say the British Empire, we didn't take over the whole world, thank heavens, all right, but uh, in the same way that that would be a perfectly normal human empire, the Greek Empire, the Medo-Persian empires, these were, on one level, merely human empires. You know, they were completely human empires, like Germany, like France, or whatever. But they were also an unknowing front for demons who were doing the plotting and the manoeuvring. I.e., what you've got is this, the power at back of those empires was demonic. And we see as well that there was just one demon behind each world power. All right? There was a prince of Persia, then followed, or was going to be followed, by the prince of Greece. So, what we've got here is that, undoubtedly, fallen angels who are doing that kind of thing, all right, you know, behind human affairs and nations and stuff like that, such fallen angels are undoubtedly, I would think, going to be of greater strength and authority than the ones which merely demonize individuals. Can you see that? They're going to be on a different kind of scale, almost. Um, in the same way that Michael, the archangel, was of greater strength and authority than the messenger angel he helped out against the prince of Persia. Can you see? What we're seeing is that there is a differentiation of rank, order, power, authority, whatever you want to call it, all right? And then number three, we can deduce or see quite clearly that Israel has her very own personal protector goody angel in the form of the Archangel Michael or a chief prince, all right? So we can clearly see that prince here is a word for an angel, all right? Um, and Michael, a chief prince, or an archangel, all right? And Michael, relative to Israel, is a kind, what you call a heavenly minder, all right? That's what he's there for. Israel has its own personal archangel guarding over it, protecting it, all right? Now, that's the kind of stuff that we can deduce from the information we've now got in Daniel chapter 10. Now, with that under our belts, we're going to move on and keep building up the information, okay? And we're going to move on to some New Testament passages, all right, which will now make sense. We've covered every verse in the Old Testament that mentions demons or spirits, all right? We've covered every verse. But now that we've got to move on to some other verses which are referring to spirits, but by different phraseology, all right? Um, and in doing this, we're going to see just how far we can take this little peek behind the cosmic 
curtain. We're going to see how far you can go in formulating definite beliefs about the nature of this spiritual warfare. Uh, how far we can go in deducing things from this very limited data that we now have about all this. Now then, first of all, go to Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read verse 10 to 12. Now then, this, this is basically the, the, the famous armour of God passage. Uh, now, I'm not going to be dealing with that aspect. There's a tape in the library that has already covered that, all right? That's not the particular aspect we want. We want this bit. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now we'll be back to that bit in a one or two talks. For we are not contending against flesh and blood, i.e. human beings. All right? We are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present age, present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Basically, what Paul is saying here, our battle as Christians is not with humans, not flesh and blood. Our fight is with this demonic army. Basically, the demonic army, which we're going to see, is referred to in the New Testament as principalities and powers. Now, one of the things we've got to note about verse 12 is that, did you notice, against one, principalities, two, against the powers, three, world rulers of the present darkness, four, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, you won't have to look at very many books on the subject, or you won't have to listen to very many tapes on the subject, before you come across the idea that verse 12 is a detailed breakdown of the hierarchy in this demonic army. All right? Kind of the authority structure, okay. Now, we're going to ask the question, is that correct? Is there here a, dis a kind of a breakdown that there's a kind of four levels of this demonic army, starting with principalities, then you get powers, then you get the world rulers, and then you get the spiritual hosts of wickedness. Is that the case? Well, in some ways, I'll let you answer that question in your mind before I answer it for you as we break this down into the Greek and actually look at it in detail. The first thing that Paul says is that we are contending against the principalities. The principalities. Now, what is this word, principality? Okay. The Greek word here is arche, and it means different things. It means a beginning, it means government, 
or rule. Those three ideas, the beginning or government or rule. And someone in the ancient world, in a Greek language, someone who exercised rule or authority was quite simply an arche, a principality. Uh, it just means a kind of a high-ranking official. Did you notice that we saw that Michael, all right, was a chief prince, all right? Now, in the New Testament, the Old Testament term for Michael was a chief prince. What is the New Testament term? Archangel. There's the word arche, all right? Archangel. Now, this root, arch, indicated originally something of worth. That is what the word started off as meaning. And the verb arco meant to be first, all right? And archon denoted a ruler. So an archon, I mean, those of you, you know, Dan Dare fans, you had the mekon, all right? Well, in the Greek, a ruler was an archon. This is all associated with this Greek word. So what we have in this word is, is sort of government or rule in the sense of the origin of something, the active cause of a thing, or to put it another way, the push behind something. Let's see if I can demonstrate. Go to, keep your finger in Ephesians, but go to Colossians chapter 1. And uh, there's actually a, a, a verse here that we're going to look at which, which baffles some people. Jehovah's Witnesses use this verse. Uh, JWs, of course, do not believe that Jesus is divine. They believe that he is a created being. And if someone is a created being, they cannot be divine. And this is one of the verses that they use. Now, speaking of Jesus, it says, He is the head of the body, the church. This is Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. Now then, there they say, look, he's the firstborn. And, um, you know, sort of like, he is the beginning, okay? Now, what you've got here, quite simply in the Greek, is that you've got this word, archi. When it says here, Jesus was the beginning, you've got this word, archi. And what it means is that Jesus was the active cause of everything. That Jesus was himself the push behind creation. Can you say? The push behind creation is Jesus himself. He is the originator of creation, he was the means of creation, and he is the overall ruler of creation. So what you've got, this idea of archi or principality, is not just the idea of a ruler, but the idea of that which is the push at back of something. Let me try and explain. The push behind the socialist worker magazine is communism. Can you see what I mean? If you read the socialist worker, the push behind it is communism. The push behind the times is conservative party policy. Are you getting the idea that the push behind something? Uh, who's heard of Spare Rib magazine? The push behind Spare Rib is Feminism. There's a magazine, and Spare Rib is the official publication of the feminist movement, all right? So, have you got the idea that in Archi, we have a picture here of rulership and the push behind something that's going on? So, a principality is a ruler, 
and is the push, the originating cause uh, back of whatever it is that's going on. So that is the word principality, all right? Now, the second word, got principalities and then powers. Now, this Greek word powers is simply exousia, and it means authority or the freedom to act, i.e. the freedom to act which comes with authority, all right? A sergeant is free to tell a private to get his hair cut. It's the freedom that comes with authority, okay? So it's the right to exercise power. And in the Greek language, this word was used of soldiers, uh, of magistrates, of governments, all right? It's also used in the Bible as well of our authority over Satan. So simply, this word powers simply refers to authorities, okay? Uh, then next, we've got world rulers or... In its fullness, we've got world rulers of this present darkness, okay? Uh, so what is this world rulers? Uh, the Greek word is cosmocrator, all right? And it means the ruler of a whole world, cosmocrator. Cosmo, the world, crater, ruler, all right? It's as simple as that. The ruler of a whole world. And uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, we won't turn to it, but in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Satan is actually called the god of this world. And the Bible calls him the god of this world because a fallen world in rebellion against God falls legally under his dominion. You see what I mean? People are children of the devil because they're going the same way as the devil. They don't want the will of God, neither does Satan. Sin put men and women under Satan's legal hold, you see. So, therefore, what we've got here is that because we're in a fallen world in rebellion against God, Satan is the ruler of this world. He is the active power at back of this world. And therefore, because of that, exousia. He and his demon forces have the right to exercise power. Okay. Now then, the fourth one is spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now then, this spiritual host of wickedness sounds grand, doesn't it? It's not half as grand as it sounds in the Greek. Let me try and break it down. What you've got here is the pneumaticos of wickedness. Or, grammatically, you can put it the other way round, wicked pneumaticos. All right? That's the Greek grammar of it. Now then, pneumaticos. What is this word, pneumaticos? It gets translated spiritual hosts. What is it actually in the Greek? Well, it's one of the Greek words for angelic beings, as simple as that, pneumaticos. But also, in, and we did this when we did the spiritual gifts series, in 1 Corinthians, what is it, 12 or 14, where, uh, in 12, and, and Paul talks about, you know, earnestly desiring the gifts of the Spirit, and he talks about the gifts of the Spirit, all right? Uh, that word, sp in spiritual gifts, the word gifts isn't there in the Greek. It's filled in by the English translators, and quite rightly, just to make sense of it, because the Greek word there is simply pneumaticos. It's the same as this word. And the word quite simply means spiritualities. It just means something spiritual as opposed to something material. All right? So here, it's simply referring to wicked angelic beings. Grammatically, it could be referring to wicked gifts of the Spirit, but that doesn't fit. <laughs> Clearly, it's referring here to wicked angelic beings, as simple as that.
So what we've got, quite simply, is that Paul is saying, we're not contending against flesh and blood, but against the demonic push behind what's going on, the real authority in this world, as principalities, the powers, that which has the right to have authority over a fallen world, against the cosmocrator, the world rulership of Satan and his demons, and against the wicked fallen angels, the wicked angelic beings. Now, I don't know if you can see that once we've actually understood what the Greek is, the idea that here we have some descending order or hierarchy of authority just falls apart. It's silly. Because if this is some descending order of hierarchy, as a lot of Bible teachers say, then, for instance, why does world rulers come third? Wouldn't you have thought that Cosmocrator, the ruler of a whole world, would have come first? And what's the active difference between principality and power? They're, they're just two sides of the same coin. And, I mean, wicked angelic beings. Well, if the wicked angelic beings, and that is what the Greek translation here means, if they're the bottom of the scale, then does that mean that the three layers above them aren't spiritual angelic beings? I mean, you can see, it's silly, it's silly. There is no descending order here at all. It's simply the same thing described in four different ways. Let me give you an example, because this is common practice in every language. It's a normal part of communication. I'll give you an example. The trouble with this country, it's the government, it's the cabinet, it's the ministers, it's the MPs. I've just said the same thing four times, can you see? It's, I've simply brought out the fullness of what I'm talking about. So here we do not have this descending order or anything at all. Uh, it's simply the same thing described in four different ways. Paul is talking about the demonic war machine. He's talking about, you know, the demonic beings who are in the league. No descending order of authority, it's simply the, the, the same thing described in four different ways. The demonic army battling away at back of human history, or, to put it another way, behind the cosmic curtain. All right. So, we've seen already in this talk, when it comes to personal demonization, that a lot of Christians, they, they teach information that has gone way beyond the biblical data. I, they draw conclusions which cannot be concluded from the Bible, all right? Um, and so it's the same problem you've got with this aspect of demonic activity. We're going to see that if personal demonization is what demons do inside people, then principalities and powers is what the satanic army is trying to do to people from the outside, influencing them, not by demonizing them and getting them inside, but as we're going to see, by affecting their minds from the outside. All right. And in the same way, I mean, we saw <clears throat> with kind of like personal demonization, we saw spirits of this, that, and the other, and so, you know, way beyond anything that the Bible teaches. And in the same way, the principalities and powers get, sadly, the same treatment. And you've got to watch out for false teaching in regards to it. For instance, taking the kind of information that you can get from Daniel chapter 10, and we've been through it, all right, you'll find that Christians will read into that the most incredible details. 
you can find books and hear Bible teachers who will give you complex listings of which demons are in which battalions and which particular countries and even cities of those countries they actually run. You know, can you see what I mean? Um, one of the latest things that's coming out a bit on the charismatic scene is, is I, I suppose they call it city conversion. Uh, they're starting to go for whole cities now. No one's done it yet, no one's had a city converted. But uh, I mean, sort of basically, what you have to do to get a city converted, and they've started to work on London, is that you, you have to pray against these principalities and powers in their ascending order of authority. So you start with the lower echelons. And presumably, when you've given them a good kicking, they'll move out the way, and then you go to the next hierarchy up. Can you see? And you work your way through until you get to the top boy over London, or or whatever city that you're talking about. <coughs> and uh, kind of like you know these breakdowns, you've got kind of one one principality or one demon is running the sex shops in the area. Um, you've got a different one, and I mean, they know the names, and I mean, they're, they're praying against them quite specifically. You've got another one running the local drugs trade. Now, I'm not saying that these things are demonic, and of course, Satan is at back at them. I'm simply trying to show you the ridiculous details that people claim to have revealed to them, all right? And then presumably you've got another principality running the local Labour Council. So, again, they know who they... <laughs> Forgive me, brothers at the back there, you see. But all, I... <laughs> all I'm trying to say is that, can you see, in the same way that when you've got spirits of Jezebel and, and, and all this kind of stuff, it's going way beyond, you know, what the Bible teaches in regards to personal demonization. In the same way, the kind of stuff I've just said goes way beyond what the Bible says in regards to this wider subject of principalities and powers. And you're back into the most ridiculous and irresponsible speculation again. And you must watch it. Basically, tonight, I've, I'm giving you all the information there is in the Bible about this. Can you see? Uh, so... Therefore, what I want to do now is to say, right, how far can we go? Uh, it's easy for me to say, well, you can go too far. I mean, of course, anyone can say that. But how far, in my honest judgment, steady, John, steady. How, how far could, manifestation there. How far, how far can we take this, all right? How far can we responsibly take this? And I would say, simply to this extent, all right? We can go this far. Life in this world, human affairs, be it globally what's happening, so a whole global level, or be it what's happening on a national level, i.e. in any one country, uh, or be it what's happening locally, which for us would be Chigwell, uh, or whether what's happening with your non-Christian next-door neighbours. So in human affairs, whether it's what's happening globally, nationally, locally, or with your non-Christian neighbours next door, what we're seeing is the push behind it all is demonic. The principalities and powers are working at the back of everything. Now, I'm not going to get the giggles. I am sitting here. Everyone else has got the giggles, and I am standing against the giggles now. Because if I get the giggles, you, you, this, this Bible study's over. So I'm not going to get the giggles. All right. 
Okay, now then. So, what we've got here, the push behind everything that is going on is demonic. The principalities and powers are working at back of everything. Satan is the god of this world because human beings are at one with him. Unknowingly, yes. But because human beings are at one with Satan in shared rebellion against God, the demonic powers are able to manipulate and control what is happening in human affairs, be it globally, nationally, locally, or next door. All right. But also, I am going to finish this Bible study. But also, all right, so the fallen angels are beavering away behind the scenes at every level of life. You've got the ones on personal demonization detachment, i.e. the ones getting in people. That's one group, okay. But the rest of them are on these Prince of Persia type duties, i.e. manipulating human affairs from behind the cosmic curtain, okay. So the Prince of Persia type demons are working away under Satan, controlled, directed by Satan, the principalities and powers are working away behind the backdrop of human history and they are organizing and they are maneuvering and they are manipulating. And that group of demons in the Bible are referred to as principalities and powers. They are also referred to as spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places in Ephesians. Also in Ephesians they were, uh, oh I've forgotten now, yeah, they, they were also called the, the world rulers of this present darkness. But elsewhere, as we're going to see in the New Testament, the usual term used for them is simply principalities and powers. The push, the authority, the real truth behind what's going on in human affairs. And that is their name. Now, our warfare as Christians isn't with people. It is not with flesh and blood. People are what we're fighting for. <coughs> we're not fighting against human beings, we are fighting for human beings. If planet Earth is the arena of this warfare, all right, then human beings are the prize of the warfare. They're what the warfare is about, okay? So, therefore, we're not fighting people, we're fighting for people. We are fighting this demonic army, this fallen angelic army who are working under Satan's authority in much the same way that the angels, the goody angels, are fighting against the satanic army as well, but under God's authority. And they are called, in the Bible, this demonic army is simply referred to as principalities and powers. So, what we have is quite simply this. The demonic army is working on two fronts. Uh, front number one, well, I mean, you know, these are interchangeable, it doesn't matter which way round you have it, but the first front we looked at was personal demonization, detachment demons, i.e. these are fallen angels and their brief, uh, their bag 
okay, is to uh, get inside individuals, okay? Now, the rest of the angelic army, the principalities and powers, they're not trying to get inside individuals. That is the job of the personal demonization detachment ones. The principalities and powers are not trying to get into people. They're trying to influence humanity from individual right up to global corporality. They're trying to... Uh, I've forgotten the word, what was the word? Influence, that's right. But from the outside, as we're going to see through ideas and thinking and through people's minds, okay? So then, therefore, the kind of picture that we've got is quite simply this, okay? Persia, Greece, up back of them, there was a satanic power, all right? Every country is going to have two things at back of it. They're going to have the, the principalities and powers kind of assigned to them, and they're going to be the angels counter-attacking that God has assigned to them. So, yeah, I mean, sort of probably over Great Britain or whatever, we've got principalities and powers, and presumably they're working on Great Britain. Presumably, you know, sort of like the French ones working on France. <laughs> I wouldn't want to break this down too much, because, I mean, for instance, in Northern Ireland, I mean, sort of like, I mean, is... Is there a principality demon over Northern Ireland but its jurisdiction ends at the border? That would be odd, wouldn't it? Can you see? So we mustn't try and break it down too much, but certainly behind human affairs, globally, nationally, locally, there is this demonic army, organised, you know, kind of like, you know, given different areas of authority, trying to work and influence human beings to go against what God wants. There is also the goody angels working to counter it, okay? They're on our side, they're fighting for us, alright? Also, we saw that Israel, at least, has its own personal goody angel, alright? It's very possible, maybe every country does, I don't know. Possible? Maybe not. Can you see, we can't get too much detail out of it. If you ever read a book, that says Britain has its own kind of like goody angel, like every other country, fair enough. That might be true, no big deal. If the book claims to know its name, you've got a book that's <laughs> way over the top. Can you see the idea that I'm trying to get at? Don't try and get into too detailed an analysis of this. It's going beyond what the Bible actually says. Just a couple of other verses. Uh, go to Colossians chapter 2. Tonight is really the introductory talk to the second part of this series, all right? Tonight is just the introduction and all this. Colossians 2, verse 15. Um, now, we saw this verse earlier. It, it will make more sense now. Speaking of Jesus, here you have it. He disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them, triumphing them over them in the cross. So there you have it. The, yeah, this demonic army was flattened, was beaten by Jesus on the cross. But can you see it? There you have it, principalities and powers. Back to Ephesians. If people are going to say that the Ephesian epistle is listing four layers of hierarchy, all right, principalities, powers, world rulers, and spiritual wickedness, or, or wicked spiritual hosts, then according to Colossians, uh, the last two haven't been defeated by Jesus. Can you see what I mean? 
because only principalities and powers are mentioned here, can you see? Obviously, principalities and powers is the umbrella term for the whole lot. Ephesians 6 was simply Paul talking about the same thing from four different angles. And here we have Paul saying to the Colossian church that these principalities and powers, this demonic army, has been beaten because of what Jesus did on the cross. Go to Ephesians, back to Ephesians, only not chapter 6, chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 7 to 10. We now see another factor being brought onto the stage. Ephesians 3, verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. That through the church, now that's the new factor, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now you have Paul again referring to this demonic army. Only what he's saying here, we've seen in the Old Testament, is that the battle in Daniel and throughout the Old Testament was between God and his angels and Satan and the demons, be it the ones on personal demonization detachment or the principality and powers ones on more what you call general duties influencing from the outside, all right? But in the New Testament, a new factor is brought in because the battle has switched. The battle is now this. It is certainly God and his angels battling with Satan and the demons. <coughs> But now it is God and the angels battling against this demonic army with the key to their success being the church. The main battle that God fights with these principalities and powers, the goody angels are doing their bit still behind the scenes, behind the cosmic curtains, but the main damage is going to be done not by the angels, but by the Lord working through the church, that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the principalities and powers through the church. And that is where you and I come in. And this talk leads us next time to the first of three talks on the whole subject of spiritual warfare. We've seen the existence now of the enemy army. We've got an idea, a little bit idea of the general nature of the battle. But next time we go on to three talks where we're going to break it down specifically and to see exactly what our role is as Christians in this revealing the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities and powers and bringing to bear the victory that Jesus won on the cross, bringing that to bear against them in the here and now and how it is we overcome their power in situations. So it's to spiritual warfare in practical terms that we turn to next time. So we'll finish there. 
You may giggle away to your heart's content now. <laughs>